We must search for what is truth. You doubt me. Seek proof. What is truth? And what is God? The first duty is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. Then here is the proof you seek. You don't really want an answer to that question. Welcome to the AXPX Podcast, Season 4, Episode 3. I am your host, Sean DeRager. Thanks for sticking with us. Really excited about today's show, you guys. We are talking about the philosophies and religions of Star Trek. My buddy Bob McDonald is going to be joining us. We're going to have a really cool conversation here. A lot of his insights. Uh, being a priest... And a Star Trek fan. So I'm really excited to talk to him about all of this. You can find all of our social media links over at theaxpx.com, including our Twitter, which is theaxpx. I would love to hear from all of you as you're listening to the show. Tweet out what you think, uh, any questions, anything like that as you're listening. It'll be a lot of fun. I'll definitely respond. You can also check out our Patreon. You can become a patron just for a buck a month, and you'll get a lot of behind-the-scenes information. Any interviews that I do will be thrown up there, completely unedited, so you can always refer back to specific interviews and, uh, and things like that. Let's go ahead and get started with today's show. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Your ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life forms and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Star Trek and Star Wars have been a part of my life pretty much as long as I can remember. As a kid, I pretend to be Han Solo lost in the frozen plains of Hoth. I daydream about riding a speeder through the redwoods. And Princess Leia, she was my princess. Many other days, I'd pretend to be Captain Kirk, climbing the Vasquez rocks to confront Gorn. Or, I'd try to vanquish my brother by giving him the Vulcan nerve pinch. As I got older, I began to be drawn in by Star Trek The Next Generation. My dad and I would stay up late Saturday nights and watch the show. I'd always known the original series, it was a staple of visiting my grandparents, but something about Captain Picard and his crew always stuck with me. What Gene Roddenberry's universe offered above George Lucas's universe was deeper and something possibly attainable by the human race. And don't get me wrong, there's always a place for Star Wars. But as I explored my own spirituality, that complex journey was mirrored in many ways by multiple Star Trek episodes. Last episode, I spoke with Richard Garriott about his travels to space. As the interview drew to a close, I asked him if Star Trek had inspired his passions for space. Here was his answer. Well, no, I'm a huge Star Wars and Star Trek fan. And by the way, I took Scotty's ashes. Scotty, James Doohan, the actor who played Scotty. I took his ashes to the International Space Station and sent some of them on a spacewalk into space (laughs) and brought some down to return to his family to fulfill the wishes, his wishes of of, wow. sit, of being sent into space uh, as one of his you know final wishes in life. That's awesome. And uh, uh, so I have a deep connection, I would say, to uh, yeah. Star Trek 
And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I think about, you know, the prime directive and I think about, uh, you know, the first encounter with aliens that presumably we'll someday have mm -hmm. or our first encounter with a super intelligence, which will probably be the AIs we unleash ourselves. And, <laughs> uh, uh, and so I think that a lot of the Star Trek philosophy is is actually important to discuss yeah. because it is reasonable to wonder, uh, you know, w when will we encounter a Borg like, you know, uh, entity, whether we create it or uh, encounter it. Uh, and when will we, uh, you know, have the war of the worlds, either in the sense of disease or the war of the worlds in the sense of an invader? Uh, you know, those things are all very real possibilities. Yeah. And Star Trek did a really good job of trying to explore all those angles. And uh, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm not sure which one will come true. I mean, I think they're all actual risks. I mean, we really do have a risk of unleashing the AI that will consume us. We really yeah. do have a risk of encountering an, an a, a true and interstellar intelligence that probably at least won't care about us and could be malevolent. So th those are all true potentials. Inspired by Richard's answer to my Star Trek question, I put the question out to all of you via social media. How has Star Trek shaped your personal philosophy or worldview? Here are some of your responses. Yes. Star Trek did shape my worldview, but it didn't have anything to do with spirituality, even though there were some spiritual elements to it. It was more of what a hopeful future for humanity could look like. That's what I got out of it. Ah, this is Tom DeRigger, Sean's dad. Hey Sean, live long and prosper. One of the things that comes to mind is that much effort is expended in the series of trying to do the right thing in a plethora of circumstances. Much of the content is about making good moral decisions. Although the show is intentionally secular in nature, the high moral standards which were honored demonstrated an adherence to human innate conscience which coincides with the natural law known as the laws of nature's God. The show, uh, show portrays a desire for the best ideals to win the day by winning over your fellow travelers by good example and persuasion first and foremost, if possible, of course. I appreciate the fact that they use stuns a lot. <laughs> uh, in my career as a Trekkie from my early days, I'm not watching reruns, by the way, but uh, as they were produced, I would, you know, was not a real fan of Deep Space Nine or the Voyager segments, but everything else, I think, uh, you know, they did a great job. They do a great job in, in, with their movies coming out. Anyways, well, that's my thoughts on it. Hey, this is Joshua Craig from Raleigh, North Carolina. My most impactful moment uh, was from Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Kirk is talking to Cybok, and he asks Cybok, what does God need with a starship? So every time I think about, like, Church is asking for money. Church is asking for donations for this, that, and the other. Like, I wonder, what does God need with that? He doesn't need anything we have. He's supposed to have everything, right? All-powerful, all-knowing, all that jazz. Hey, this is Joy Newcomb. I think growing up as a young person in the late 70s, early 80s, I probably wasn't fully aware of all the ways that Star Trek shaped my worldview, 
But I do remember being aware that Nichelle Nichols, she was a female officer on Star Trek. Actually, after the series ended, uh, it helped NASA recruit female astronauts. So, in a way, Gene Roddenberry helped shape not just a worldview, but helped shape the future. So, that's sort of awesome. Not just sort of awesome, that is awesome. And how awesome when something like that, an actor takes a role so seriously and understands the significance culturally of what she helped make happen, where she transfers um, her ability to inspire into the actual world, and NASA and all of us were better for it. And that was something that I aspired to see, and I wanted to see more women in leadership, and Gene Roddenberry created it. And then as this series went along, he added like Counselor Deanna Troy and Dr. Beverly Crusher, and so they were there. And so it shaped my worldview that it was possible, if not right when I was growing up, at least in the future, it was going to be possible. So, yeah, he, um, I think he affirmed my aspirations for what I hope my worldview would be. And then as far as getting along with other cultures, that is certainly something that I also found appealing. So I would have to say yes, but in this subtle way that I kind of wasn't even aware was happening because he could create this world outside of our existence that um, seemed to have no boundaries. And it was an appealing way to think about the world. It wasn't scary because, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> Star Trek always was conquering. Star Trek was always going, venturing into the world. So it wasn't scary. The, the future wasn't a scary place because of Gene Roddenberry. And it was actually very appealing for a young woman. This is Derek, Derek Smith, a.k.a. Jurathis. I uh, just wanted to call in, talk to you a little bit about how the philosophy of Star Trek kind of affected my life. Uh, even though the Prime Directive says not to intervene, I figured I'd fudge the rules just like Captain Kirk would. Anywho, growing up in a really small town, there wasn't a lot of diversity around for me. But one of the things that really appealed to me with Star Trek is there was so much diversity, and Starfleet fostered that. They helped bring people together, uh, different species, different planets, and that really allowed me to look at things and you know look at people in, you know in a different way, so that I was able to look at them for what they did and not just you know, what they looked like. Hey, this is John Golson. One of the things that I had been thinking about lately was getting an IDIC tattoo, the I-D-I-C tattoo, which is uh, also known as the Vulcan symbol, which stands for infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And to me, that's something that I've begun to cling to um, stronger and stronger the older I've gotten, you know, whereas when I was a kid, I think, Star Trek was very much about uh, just the adventurer, and you know, when I was a Star Wars kid, so spaceships and laser guns and aliens, it, it had me from go. Um, but as I've gotten older and as I've explored the show and, and really, you know, read more and gotten into the themes, I think one of the things that I just keep coming down to is that idic, that I-D-I-C, which is this thought that um, the infinite universe, you know, it's so vast, there's so much out there. And if we are to believe, and we know that there's so much out there, and we have to imagine that there's just an infinite amount of diversity and an infinite amount of combinations. 
but I think we're very singular. You know, we try to force uh, everyone to see things from our perspective as a, as me, a white guy, you know, or or even humans and the way that they relate to God. They want God to look like them and be like them. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about how God appreciates thank you and things like that. You know, it's all things that are very human characteristics to this being that should be uh, omnipresent and and close to not being able to be comprehended by by a human brain um so you know it's it, i think we get focused we get myopic we we are so um worried about ourselves and and how things relate to us that i think it's really important to consider the infinite diversity in infinite combinations and start to think about the fact that we are just uh as humans as as me i am just one grain of sand on a beach of billions and billions and billions of other grains of sand to get Carl Sagan. Um, but yeah, that's that's something that Star Trek has reinforced to me and it, and it becomes more and more important to me the older I get. Thank you. On today's podcast, friend of the show, Bob McDonald, joins me to explore and discuss the philosophy and religions of Star Trek. Bob McDonald, who I had on the show a while back during what we're calling season three, uh, Bob brought this idea my way about uh, talking about you know, Star Trek and you know religion and philosophy in that context of the universe that Gene Roddenberry uh, created with Star Trek. And at the time, you know, I wanted really wanted to do it, and then the podcast I stopped doing it for a while. And now that I've launched this back up again, I'm starting. to you know, jot down ideas, I immediately thought of this as a show. So, uh, Bob McDonald joins us. Hello! Uh, now, what's what's the title you go by? Like, you know, you and I have talked about you You had your the the, uh, the the church thing you're doing at the time. Right. You've been ordained since then. So, what's yeah. uh, what's been going on, man? Let's do a quick okay. rundown. A quick recap. <laughs> uh, at, <clears throat> when we first spoke in the first show we did together, uh, I was heading a community here in southern Indiana called the Gnostic Church of Dharma and Virtue. And in that time, and, and during that interview, and then in the, the months after leading up to my ordination, the church went through a bit of a, I called it a crystallization, a change from kind of a loose structure to a more uh, traditional focused structure. Uh, there were things that we wanted to do as a community and as a church that um, led us in the direction of me meeting certain individuals, one being uh, a man who became my um, my ordaining bishop, the Metropolitan Catholicos of uh, the Oriental Apostolic Church of Damkar, a man by the name of uh, Tal Michael III facilities. So, uh, he, this is a gentleman that exists in, in an apostolic and liturgical structure, one that I was seeking. And, um, as we got to talk and as we got to become friends, it, it became obvious to me that that was the direction that the, the church that I was in was going toward. So, on December 3rd, I received uh, ordination into the uh, 
rank or the office of the priesthood um, under uh, the authority of Talmichael, uh, apostolic, apostolically valid ordination. Uh, some refer to the churches in, in which we function to be uh, kind of this independent liturgical apostolic world, uh, you know, the old Catholic church and um, certain Gnostic churches, anything that, that is outside of what are known as the bigger bodies of Catholic or Orthodox churches that express a liturgical and Eucharistically focused style one of the directions we were heading in. Uh, so the Gnostic Church of Dharma and Virtue changed in, in a way and became the Priory of the Rose Cross. We became a church under the uh, umbrella of the Oriental Apostolic Church of Damkar. We became part of the Church of Damkar. And I became a priest under the Church of Damkar, and that's how I serve to this day. Um, currently, I, I hold the office of Archpriest, um, I serve Mass once a month. Right now we can do once a month. Hopefully we'll be able to do more as the church uh, grows in, in number. Uh, we do have membership. We have we are active. Uh, and we're essentially still a Gnostic church with, with very universal properties to ourselves. It's just that we have, we have focused our expression of that tradition in a liturgical and apostolic Christian setting, as something is, we're all very comfortable with that. I'm myself uh, feel like I've I've gained tremendously in in my time in the church so far, and uh, it's been very beneficial for everybody. So there there has been that change. So what's the uh, what's the title? Uh, I'm gonna pronounce it wrong. I'm not versed in these ways. Monsignor. Monsignor. Okay. Got it. There we go. It's not that hard there. Right. So, Monsignor Bob McDonald. Hello. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Alongside your involvement with the church, you are also involved in, uh, you're a longstanding member of Starfleet in the, uh, the International Star Trek Fan Association. I'm a complete Trekkie. I'm not a Trekker. I'm a Trekkie. See, Trekker seems to be something that people say to seem cooler than saying I'm a Trekkie, but the reality is I'm just one of those super obsessed Star Trek fans, and I have been since I've been a kid. So um, for many years, uh, and I I took uh, some time off in the years in between, but from when I was 14, I joined uh, Starfleet, the International Star Trek Fan Association, and I was a member for many years, a uh, member of a local chapter here in Southern Indiana and chapters kind of run like they kind of style themselves after the, the ships you see in the Star Trek series, right? So they're given names and, you know, USS so-and-so NCC, whatever. And everyone holds fictional ranks and the ranks kind of reflect your involvement in the organization as a whole. Um, so I was a member for many years. Uh, life kind of got in the way. I, I stopped being a member, and then years ago I, I rejoined, and currently I'm a member of a uh, Columbia, and it's it's a kind of a it's a correspondence chapter or an online chapter. So 
there are rare meetings of the people involved, but we meet online and it's just a way for us to kind of discuss Star Trek and, and have an outlet, get to know each other. Nice. Very nice. I first discovered Star Trek probably as a kid, almost just by being around it. I remember I would be at my, my grandparents' house and we lived next door to them and, you know, they would always have Star Trek on and I would always, I would always watch it. And then I think as I got older, I realized what time the reruns were on. So I'd make sure I was over there watching, you know, the original Star Trek series. And then eventually as I got older, Star Trek The Next Generation came out. So that became my dad and I's like time and excuse for me to stay up late. I believe on like a Saturday night at like 1030 is when they would start. So we would start, you know, watching Star Trek. And that was kind of our thing. You know, every Saturday night we would stay up and watch Star Trek The Next Generation. And I was hooked, man. That just got me hooked even more. When I was younger, I'd always watch the films. Okay. Uh, and I would always watch the uh, the theatrical films. I think I think I saw Star Trek four in the theater with my with my parents. That I think for me was like a departure because it was actually most of it took place on Earth and involved you know very pressing uh, matters right. with like saving yes. whales, right? <laughs> you know, which sounds silly, but but at the time, like that, I believe that was something that was, it was very a big much time social issue uh, in, in the yeah. popular culture. The, the the issue with I mean that was when if you think about it that was when this this kind of outside of of kind of what was introduced like in the sixties with the counterculture and stuff that was really when people started to to really focus on what was happening as far as 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 are affecting the environment and Star Trek four and of course whales were. Uh, you know, we, 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 we forget that there was a time where whales, it was just open season. I mean, whales were just harvested like any other form of, you know, animal that we harvest, like tuna. You know, I mean, it was just, it was kind of a, it was, it was an industry in a sense. And we started to see real ecological damage being done. And, and that's when, I mean, I remember in school, that's when like Earth Day, the idea of Earth Day started to be really, talked about and supported and of course yesterday i believe was earth day right i know it was the march for science yeah um so so star trek of course does what it does and it's it it took a storyline and focused on the social issues of the time and and star trek has a tendency of of showing us the better way and this is one of my draws to the to the uh, universe of Star Trek is that Star Trek the, the the individuals in the Star Trek universe in the situation more often than not take the the highest road and and that leads to a better life for everybody so that's what you you saw happening where this probe came to earth right and it started just wrecking the planet up in a sense, not, I guess, intentionally, but it was trying to communicate with humpback whales, which it saw, this probe saw as, as Earth's intelligent life form. And at the time that the probe had visited Earth, theoretically, it pro- the whales probably were, right? right? So they realized that at the t- in the, in the, in the storyline, of course, whale, humpback whales were ex- extinct. And so they had to bring these humpback whales to to the future, 
they had to go back and get get some and bring them back to save the planet. And the allegory there, I think, is is still applicable. I mean, we're still like wrestling currently with with the um, subject matter brought up in Star Trek Four. I guess you can use the analogy: we're either at the crossroads or we're on the precipice, right? We're in this in this place where the decisions that we make now are going to have long term effects, and and there has been, interestingly enough, in our culture, some kind of a blowback to to the kind of the progression that we had been making. There's there's this like, um, does I don't know what's I don't even know how to how to explain it properly, but there's this there's this part of our society is rejecting the progress and the, the the facts that are that science is is showing us you know as far as like um a refusal to believe in climate change of course anyone that that understands what these scientists are talking about even in a rudimentary form can can see that there is there is climate change happening it's not a fiction and i think that that you know what was interesting about Star Trek Four is that it showed us maybe a world where, of course, in the history of Star Trek itself, in the storyline, uh, humans go through a, a like World War Three. They go through another great nuclear war, uh, and the the species is almost devastated to the point of, uh, you know, it can't be repaired, and humans in general come to a Agreement, almost like they have a they have a, a change in consciousness, where they realize that the way they've been living all this time hasn't gotten them where they should be or where they where they need to be. They need to to get rid of biases and they need to get over themselves in a sense to work together to to maintain and to and to grow and progress as a species. And currently, we're seeing this this um, dichotomy or this this argument happening between even in our own country these groups one group is is saying that that the progress is forced and another group is saying that the progress is necessary and so we're at, we're at this crossroads right and I think that in Star Trek one of the appeals of it is that it's always shown us that when we work together, and when we unify, and when we put aside prejudice and bias and bigotries, and we embrace science, and we embrace rationality, that that we will go far as a species. Um, that we will overcome these things that are that are almost uh, throwbacks to an unenlightened time. Wars and 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 nationalism on a scale of subjugating other other groups, um, racism, you know, sexism, everything that we're that that that's in the forefront of of this kind of societal discussion that's happening right now. So, where does that you know how does that like how does religion and Star Trek factor in on that? I guess I would say that. If you would look at even like Gene Roddenberry's uh, own view of religion, wasn't very um, 
he didn't regard religion too highly. Um, he saw religion as being uh, problematic and that it was one of those things that led to the issues such as wars and bigotry and exclusion. Um, and he was very much a humanist. So he he kind of, when he created Star Trek, I think, and, and of course, when you look at the bureaucracy of, of religious religions today, when you look at how, you know, when you look at the systems that, that are in place, um, it's, it's, they're still causing problems. They've, they've, they've not learned how to, how to fully work together. And the, and the consciousness of the people that practice these larger religions are still in, in, they're still, they still have blinders on. And, uh, it's one of those things that, that's, well, someone like me as a, as a person of faith, I see that and I have to just be humble about the criticism. Because it's, it's not, it's not like the criticism is unfounded. If you read science fiction, the more you read it, the more you realize that you and the universe are part of the same thing. Science still knows practically nothing about the real nature of matter, energy, dimension, or time, and even less about those remarkable things called life and thought. But whatever the meaning and purpose of this universe, you are a legitimate part of it. And since you are part of the all that is, part of its purpose, there is more to you than just this brief speck of existence. You are just a visitor here in this time and this place, a traveler through it. What a difference that makes. As a traveler here, it no longer crushes you that this world is not always fair or orderly or understandable. Your passport allows you to fix what you can, to love, to refuse to take part in ugliness. But meanwhile, you are delighted that this is such a varied, colorful, exciting place. As a traveler, you're not here to judge, but to experience. You begin to feel a new affection for the life forms here. You no longer feel threatened that some may be greater or lesser than you. It's only important that you've been given this marvelous opportunity to enjoy this trip, to learn from it, and in my case, write about it. Perhaps you know where I'm leading. On a trip like this, and it is a trip, its loveliness is not in the sameness of people and things, but in their incredible variety. Eventually, this led me to the Star Trek statement, Idik, infinite diversity from infinite combinations. Thank whatever created us. We are different, each of us and everything around us. To the end of time, if it ever does end, no combination will ever come up quite the same. That's quite a travel package. All of this is how Star Trek began, and it's also something of what it's about. I am an alien. And so are you. And yet, and this is the loveliest thing of all, somehow we're also part of each other and part of everything that is. Gene Roddenberry, I have a quote from him right, right here. Uh, he says, I condemn false prophets. I condemn the effort to take away the power of rational decision, to drain people of their free will and a hell of a lot of money in the bargain. Religions vary in their degree of idiocy, but I reject them all. For most people, religion is nothing more than a substitute for a malfunctioning brain. Pretty hardcore. If you look at kind of how he, you know, 
brought this philosophy into the Star Trek, into Star Trek, into his vision of the future. And you've touched on some of these, and this is from humanism.org.uk. So I have a little list here of some things, uh, little bullet points, and you've touched on some of these already, but, um, but, his philosophy about the future uh, was cooperation and mutual encouragement. So the crew, they smooth tensions over by treating each other with care and concern. Peaceful problem solving. For the most part, Kirk and Picard aren't all about starting fights. They first try to talk and negotiate and work out a peaceful solution. And I feel like we saw that a lot, and maybe just because I saw it the most. But in uh, The Next Generation, you know, Picard yeah. was very much about peacefully finding a solution to the to the situation yes um equal dignity and respect for every life form no dogma or doctrine very rarely i think do they put any doctrine on anyone else a lot of these episodes touched on certain things with their personal characters but everything as far as the starfleet went it was just you didn't really have that. You really only had the prime directive, which we'll get to in a second. Right. And then uh, reliance on science to find facts, but enjoyment of human emotions, spirituality, and intuition. Yeah. So they celebrated diversity. They celebrated different civilizations that they would interact with. But if, you know, mainly if you were, I guess, in Starfleet especially, it, that really wasn't on the agenda. Because they were all about the whole goal of exploring the stars was to better humanity and better, you know, better themselves and and to learn and grow. The economics of the future is somewhat different. You see, money doesn't exist in the 24th century. No money? You mean you don't get paid? The acquisition of wealth is no longer the driving force in our lives. We work to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. I think that um, what I would... In, in a, some of this is, is just my speculation when I think of what... Like, for instance, someone like me who's a priest, who uh, is a person of faith, if I was in that universe and I was living at that time, I feel that <clears throat> the the understanding among people in the in the let's just say on Earth, let's just focus kind of on the what's happening on Earth in the Star Trek universe or amongst humans, is that they understand that you have the personal freedom of self-expression. And that self-expression can take on the form of you know, art, religion, uh, philosophy, the pursuit of philosophy, the pursuit of, of any anything that um, that the person feels they need to, to help kind of uplift themselves. But at the same time, they take care to, to consider everybody. So, so it's, it's, again, it's kind of like a, it's a societal mind change where, where they've, it's, it's stopped from becoming, everyone's not, isolated from the other person everyone is considering the greater good and to do that the the uh, the need to put your 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 ideas over onto someone else and force them to comply has disappeared so that inherent animosity 
that you find whenever you find competing religions that are trying to say, well, my way is the only way, or my way is the only way, and and each one is trying to to put a dominance over the other, that the animosity that that brings has vanished because that mindset is totally gone. So religion in, in some ways I think is, is viewed as being parts of religion or religious practices viewed as being, um, you know, um, just gone, you know, outdated and other parts of, of religious practice are seen as, as being very tolerable and, and people toler- tolerate it because it's the, the person's individual choice. And there's the, I guess, the soft paradox of Gene Ronberry in that he personally didn't regard religion as being necessary at all and in fact saw that in, the, in, in his view in the future, religion would not be needed for humanity to overcome these obstacles that they've placed in in front of themselves, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, due to the very nature of his acceptance of diversity and the the mosaic of the human experience, spirituality is still present. And it's still a part of, of some humans' inherent, you know, approach to the universe around them. So I think Star Trek, even though Gene Ronberry himself was a humanist. I believe that that you know how Star Trek was created. It, it was it was very much a it was an amalgamated series. I mean, it was created from a, a, a group of writers. There were, were input from other people for for all of the different series from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, all of them, Enterprise. That there were groups of people. And they were all approaching the story of Star Trek from their own subjective reality, right? So they understood, and I think Gene Ronberry to a degree also understood that there's still going to be the, these these people that that embrace spirituality. And I think one way to tackle those those ideas was that alien races were kind of imbued at times with different philosophical or spiritual practices that people had to approach, had to negotiate, had to learn about, uh, you know, the Vulcans with their, um, radical embrace of stoicism and the Klingons with their, um, uh, almost near Viking view of Stovacor, uh, you know, the Bajoran, um, belief in the prophets, uh, of that, existed in the wormhole um so you know within the star trek and even in 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 uh in certain episodes these they even touch on how humanity still there are those that still adhere personally to a spiritual practice in enterprise uh in the series enterprise um I think the episode was Cold Front. There was a scene where there was a group of pilgrims, and they were going to the was it the Plume of Agasorium? I'm going to get nailed by my uh, <laughs> friends, friends, if, I, if I get this stuff wrong. The Plume of Agasoria. All right, so guys, if I if I said that wrong, I'm sorry. Um, there were these these pilgrims that showed up on the Enterprise, and the Enterprise hosted them. 
And in one scene, they had a dinner together where they were discussing um, religion and faith. And it came up with, and Dr. Flock seemed very enthusiastic about the idea of, of learning from, learning about these pilgrims' particular view. And he talked about his time on Earth and how uh, he had gone, I think, Captain Archer had said something that he had visited a Tibetan Buddhist monastery. Uh, Dr. Phlox even makes the statement that he attended Mass at St. Peter's Square. So this idea that faith still exists is is very much part of the Star Trek canon. But it's just, I feel that that the understanding is that, that how that faith is approached has evolved in a sense. So it's it's lost its tribal edge it's lost its its um it's lost its its sharpness to to other paths that that it comes into contact with that's it's so interesting to hear them when they refer to like you know earth because earth earth's almost on this whole other especially when they're traveling through space it's almost like i mean i feel like they go to earth quite a bit but they don't live like all these people are in there all in their you know they're their ships, right? They're not. They're living, and right. their colonies are on these ships. Yes. So they don't have. They're very divorced from daily Earth life. So it makes sense that they still would be on Earth, practicing religions and people exercising their faith. Um, whereas if you're in a the stale corridors of a starship, you may have different, you know, day to day different beliefs. Maybe you keep that all to a close circle of friends or something like that. I wish we could have examined that belief of his more closely. It seems illogical for a sun worshiper to develop a philosophy of total brotherhood. Sun worship is usually a primitive superstition religion. I'm afraid you have it all wrong, Mr. Spock, all of you. I've been monitoring some of their old-style radio waves. The Empire spokesman trying to ridicule their religion. But he couldn't. Don't you understand? It's not the sun up in the sky. It's the son of God. Caesar. And Christ, they had them both. And the word is spreading only now. Philosophy of total love and total brotherhood. It will replace their imperial Rome but it will happen in their 20th century. Wouldn't it be something to watch, to be a part of? To see it happen all over again. The prime directive is what is what the, everyone who has gone through Starfleet adheres to, and it's brought up a lot. It's contradicted a lot sometimes, and depending on the episode, you can argue. But um, I'm going to read the, what the prime directive is. Okay. And then, and we'll, then we'll go from there. Uh, this is a quote. This is the actual prime directive. As the right of each sentient species to live in accordance with its normal cultural evolution is considered sacred, no Starfleet personnel may interfere with the normal and healthy development of alien life and culture. Such interference includes introducing superior knowledge, strength, or technology to a world whose society is incapable of handling such 
advantages wisely. Starfleet personnel may not violate this prime directive, even to save their lives and or their ship, unless they're acting to right an earlier violation or an accidental contamination of said culture. This directive takes precedence over any and all other considerations and carries with it the highest moral obligation. The prime directive is not just a set of rules. It is a philosophy, and a very correct one. History has proved again and again that whenever mankind interferes with a less developed civilization, no matter how well-intentioned that interference may be, the results are invariably disastrous. That is Starfleet's A number one rule. Yes. That is, that is the dogma that you find that they have to wrestle with, the, the, the structure, the dogmatic uh, code that they have to, to negotiate as they go through these issues in which the prime directive becomes the forefront of the problem. Um, and you see them handling that in a variety of different ways and sometimes out and out just violating it because they have no choice for the greater good. They just simply do it. Um, but it is that, it is that one thing. So it's, it's, it's still there. I guess the desire at times to codify, our lives and and to and to bring such structure into our actions would still I think be a part of of the human psyche. I think that having the prime directive, I see the prime directive as a good thing, but I also see wrestling with it as as a good thing too. I think that that um, that they needed to have that because they could have. Uh, I mean, there there are instances in the Star Trek story where where humans don't make the best choices, or they make selfish choices, or they make, or they or they become a little villainous. And if you would give people kind of the freedom to change things as they felt was right, without giving the species the freedom to be its itself and to find its own destiny, um, you could encounter all kinds of of horrible results. So what were some, uh, some episodes, I guess that would have spoke to you on, on some levels. It's funny cause the, you brought up, uh, who watches the watchers right. next generation episode. And that's the one that I've, uh, seen the most dealing with, uh, religion. That's the one that you find a lot of clips on and it wrestles with this because I think the main, the main plot is, or the main conundrum that they're put in is they have, like they want Picard to kind of become a god to uh, to these people, like what's the setup of that of that plot? Basically, there was a a Vulcan type species of I don't even know. I think they might be referred to as proto Vulcan species that uh, were in um, technologically, of course, nowhere near as advanced as um, the folks in the Enterprise, and they were being uh, monitored. They were being kind of studied by um, Starfleet they were they were being studied their cultures and their their heritage their language everything about them was being studied and I can't remember what happened because I haven't seen the episode in in some time I've seen clips but I can't remember what happened but there was an exposure where I think Riker I think Riker was um, kind of his his uh 
disguise. I I think Troy and Riker had gone down, and Riker's disguise had had given way, and they realized that he wasn't. No, Riker and Troy beam down, and I see there's. I just am looking it up here, and they have like uh, they're disguised. You know, yeah, as they kind of yes. have the Vulcan eyebrows, a little bit of the Vulcan yep. haircuts. Mm-hmm. Right. So so there was basically a. a, a the prime directive was broken. And so what happened is the society, which ha- which was inherently not superstitious and it kind of abandoned religion, uh, and it was just living kind of a rational, nature-centered, you know, lifestyle. Um, one of the individuals be- thought that this person has to be, you know, there's some kind of religious reason why this is happening there's some divine intervention going on. And so he becomes kind of radicalized if I, if I remember right. And it kind of throws the community in, in, in an uproar. It kind of, it kind of does what the prime directive wants to not do. And it, it upset the balance of a indigenous species developing naturally through the influence of Starfleet. And so as a result, one of the scientists felt that his that the solution to the problem would be for Picard to go down and give some or someone to go down and give some kind of, of guidelines for these people in, 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 in a way to become their, their god in order to fix the damage that had been done. That, that was like the only thing they could think of. And Picard absolutely, absolutely refused to do it. Dr. Barron, I cannot, I will not impose a set of commandments on these people. To do so violates the very essence of the Prime Directive. Like it or not, we have rekindled the Mentarkin's belief in the Overseer. And are you saying that this belief will eventually become a religion? It's inevitable. And without guidance, that religion could degenerate into inquisitions, holy wars, chaos. Horrifying. Dr. Barron, your report describes how rational these people are millennia ago. They abandoned their belief in the supernatural. Now you are asking me to sabotage that achievement, to send them back into the dark ages of superstition and ignorance and fear? No! And ultimately, if I remember right, this, the, the show ended with Picard appearing to bring one of the members to the Enterprise... And, and showing her that he was mortal of flesh and blood, and he simply was just more technologically advanced. And she understood it. And they were comfortable with that because they were rationally minded. And, and it's like the rationality won out in, in that story where they simply accepted the truth of the matter. They didn't give in to the superstition because Picard didn't give in to allowing that to happen. Um, and I thought that was an interesting episode because mm-hmm. it, it deals with it kind of it kind of for people of faith, you have to watch some of these episodes and you, and again, there has to be a little humility involved in in the understanding of where what Francis Picard was saying about is coming from you know when he's when he talked about religion in, in this kind of way of being this product of this dark age um at times the faithful need to look to themselves to see you know 
what it, what is happening in the faiths of the world that are that's contributing to this kind of understanding of of religion as being something that is you know against the the progression of humanity and we have to to be very serious with the discussion of of what do we do as faithful to change that that inherent prejudice that maybe certain religious will have and and how do we overcome and 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 evolve ourselves to to meet the the needs of the entire human community um so i've just you know i i found star trek has has always challenged me in in that respect in that i see when i see it's it's um when I see its example for the future, I, I do see things that are that are missing. Now, I will say, like for instance, in the series in or in the show uh, Data's Day, when uh, he was kind of walking around, he he attended, for instance, a celebration of the Festival of Lights, uh, which is a Hindu festival. So even on the Enterprise, humans of varying religions are celebrating. Um, religious ideas but I, I like I said I just keep going back to where I, I think that at that time those 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 lesser those lower aspects that that people of, of faith have kind of clung to the tribalism and the and the exclusivity and the and the subtle bigotries um, those have all gone away and so you're left with simply the ability to expand your consciousness and your spirit through the personal uh, searching, your own personal search for the divine. I think that that spirituality. I could make the argument that spirituality in the in the Star Trek universe is able to to reach and manifest its true purpose because there is the freedom to express without the without going back into the into that kind of primal bigoted mindset of of my way is better than your way and I am inherently better than you because that is what is happening in the world today whether we like it or not there are groups that consider themselves more valid to live more more valid to exist in this world than other groups and those other groups feel the same way that they are that their way should should take precedence that that there should be that that their way is inherently better the way that other people practice is not and there's these again these bigotries that are that that if as long as those exist this this future in star trek can't happen and that's something and so that's why i think why gene ronberry one his just his own lack of of needing religion in his life really, um, but but what he saw is these big problems that he didn't understand how you could overcome them without religion just going away. Right. Yeah. So in uh in, in stuff you've sent me um in preparation for this, you mentioned Worf. Yeah. And uh, how he, in your opinion, is probably the most faith driven. Out of all the crew, just because of the Klingon way of life. I prefer Klingon beliefs. I suppose your gods aren't as cryptic as ours. 
Our gods are dead. Ancient Klingon warriors slew them a millennia ago. They were more trouble than they were worth. I remember these episodes, but they're so vague. I'm actually, I'm starting to rewatch Star Trek The Next Generation again. I'm halfway through. I'm almost done with season two. So, um... I'm all these are starting to come back to me, but I know that it, you're right about him because he has always been even more so than like, like Spock because Spock, Spock, they're very rational, but he was half human, right? So he always had to wrestle with emotions and logic, right? But Worf coming from this, like you've said, Viking like culture of the Klingons and all of a sudden, seeing himself as a Starfleet officer, I mean, that wasn't, you, you don't see many, I don't think we've saw many Klingons in Starfleet other than Worf that I can think of. But what what's your connection with him? Well, to start off with, I, I think that, and I'll get to, to Worf in a second, but I think that in every, um, in every incarnation of, of the Star Trek series, whether, you know, like in, in the original series, I think the one that would, that would have searched for the meaning of the spirit most would have been Spock in the next generation. I believe that it was, well, you know, you could also say data had his own, um, moments where he really explored his, his own nature where he almost said things that could be considered to be spiritual, you know, revelations of the spirit that the data had but Worf was really the one that actively struggled with living with his faith openly living with his faith and 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 somehow making that work in the society that he lived in and that he served in which was Starfleet and then like in Deep Space Nine you have Major Kira who's a Bajoran and who's very devoted to the prophets and and her faith is is readily tested. Deep Space Nine is probably uh, my favorite of the series. Um, her faith is deeply tested on a regular basis. Uh, Captain Sisko also goes through matters of the spirit. Uh, there's just a lot of that happening. A lot of it, I think, is probably a result of many of those shows being being kind of designed and, and written by Ron Moore, who recreated who did the the revised or the renewed Battlestar Galactica that Sci-Fi Channel aired um, which really dealt with matters of faith and stuff but I think the writing in Deep Space Nine kind of because someone because a, a new group was doing it the the explored matters I think a little differently but you have Major Kira in, in Deep Space Nine in Voyager you had Chakotay who was uh, a member of the First Nations and he and he uh, came from a tribe that went on vision quests, and he and it was you know in fact he had he helped Janeway go on a vision quest. So you have that, and I think in Enterprise you had potentially Doctor Flox. I think kind of was the one that was most open to matters of the spirit. Of course, this is all my opinion, but um, as far as the next generation goes, Worf. Uh, Worf several times met a crisis of faith, um, and had to, and had to figure out what that meant and where he would go from there. And he never, his, what I found interesting with him is that his faith would take on kind of this new form. 
but it wouldn't it, he wouldn't lose it. He as a character evolved as a spiritual character, as someone that that uh, pursued the matters of the spirit, and and he believed in an afterlife. He believed in Stovacor. At times, he grappled with its reality, but then he would he would instinctively fall back on his knowledge of it. And it it seems like, for instance, for myself, uh, I think it's a lie to say that people don't grapple with the real tough questions. And, you know, we see that that our faiths, my faith in particular, being a, a sacramental priest, someone that says Mass and, and consecrates the Eucharist, I am part of a faith of mystery. And at the same time, I embrace rationality. And I, I very much have to balance that within myself. And so I'm go I'm constantly going through a process to where I'm having to push myself to grow in my faith because I think that's the point really. So so Worf did the same thing and and of course there was this episode was it Way of the Warrior maybe? I could have that episode wrong. Uh, the episode was actually called um uh Rightful Air. Rightful Air. Rightful yeah. Air. Yes where Kalis, uh reappears. And um, it turns out that it's, spoiler alert, it was Kalis's clone, right? And <clears throat> that really sent him into, into an issue. Like, he really, he really, like, because at first, you know, he was on Boreth, and I think he was having this vision, and Kalis appears to him, and it's like, I mean, that's what you want, right? When When you're, when you're in a, a vision quest, like if I was in a vision quest, I would kind of hope that maybe a vision would happen or something would like come of it. And it did for him. And all of a sudden it's like, it's really happening. And then he realizes that it was all kind of, it was all just rationally explained. And it was actually the clone of Kales that comforts him. I believe in that particular moment mm-hmm. because, because Kales the clone of Kalis basically said, you're questioning whether, you know, any of this is true. I went to Boroth to find my faith. For a time I thought I had. But my heart is empty again. I do not know what to believe. You doubt the real Kalis will return one day. You doubt that he is still waiting for you in Stovokor. Kalis left us, all of us, our powerful legacy, a way of thinking and acting that makes us Klingon. If his words hold wisdom and his philosophy is honorable, what does it matter if he returns? What is important is that we follow his teachings. Perhaps the words are more important than the man. I think, you know, for those of us, for instance, that follow the teachings of Christ, right? Um, or for others that follow teaching, other teachers or masters, uh, Buddhists that, that adhere to the teachings of Buddha, um, we have to wrestle with 
how, what does that mean in a changing and a growing world? You know, how do we express the worth of, of those teachings that we feel in our heart to other people? And how do we do it in a way that doesn't seem, uh, you know, to take on the characteristics of what people expect, which is bigoted or, or, uh, um, sectarian. So, so Worf, I think, uh, even, even, Growing up, I was always very focused on matters of the spirit and 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 matters of of you know what's next or or the greater story in a sense. And I think Worf really tackled a lot of when I would watch those shows, I would I would get a lot from it. Um, you know, I I felt that, and I never felt honestly, you know, as growing up watching because I think that Star Trek. For me, because I started watching it so young, I think in many ways it influenced my worldview, <laughs> and it's it's still it, it that hasn't that hasn't left me. And that even personally, when I when I speak of 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 the struggle that that man is is currently undergoing, I see the example set by Gene Roddenberry and the and the and the future he pointed to as being one that we can achieve, and and one that is worth fighting for and trying to achieve you know it's it's worth it's worth pursuing because it that future gives a home to everybody and because it doesn't it doesn't uh break itself down into smaller groups because we understand that we're part of the the great the great unity and that, as a as a as a Gnostic priest, that's my core belief: is that we are connected to each other. We're connected to the universe around us. Um. So, so to me, I have moments. I remember being at this Star Trek convention. It was, oh, it was in Huntsville, Alabama, and I was at this convention, and James Doohan was speaking. Right at the time at the convention, I think it was in 1996, and Huntsville had been renamed to Star Trek Alabama for this convention. Right, and so everyone was there. It was like this big thing. It was the biggest convention I'd ever been to, and I'd been to some big ones. And I've been to a lot of convention, Star Trek conventions in my life, but this was like a big one. And James Doohan was on the stage and I, I'll never forget this and so he starts talking and he had a tendency to tell this story when he would be because I'd seen him a, a, a time before at, at a convention and he had a tendency to tell this story about this this person that wrote him I got a fan letter from a young lady it was a suicide note so I, uh, I called her. I said, hey, this is Jimmy Doohan, Scotty of Star Trek. I said, I'm doing a convention in Indianapolis. I want to see you there. I saw her. Boy, I'm telling you. I couldn't believe what I saw. That was, it was definitely suicide, you know. 
somebody had to help her somehow. You know, and obviously she wasn't going to the right people. You know. Anyhow, I said to her, I said, I'm doing a convention two weeks from now in St. Louis. And two weeks from then into in something, you know, and then eventually she also came to New York. She was able to afford to go to these places and everything else. So, uh, and then that went on for two or three years, maybe 18 times. And all I did was talk positive things to her. And then all of a sudden, nothing. I didn't hear anything. I had no idea what was happening because I, I really never saved her uh, address, right? Eight years later, I get a letter saying, I do want to thank you so much for what you did for me because I just got my de master's degree in electronic engineering. You know, I, that's, to me, the best thing I've ever done in my life. And it brings tears to my eyes every time I even talk about the story. When he was telling the story, the whole audience, I mean, it was like, for, for people that believe in the philosophy of emergence, how the, the group and the whole can generate this presence it was there and it was powerful and and it was you can't say it was anything but a spiritual experience for me i mean i was moved i was totally changed by that moment and and that is something that star trek does for people without the um requirement that the disregard other things so as as someone who who is part of the faithful who someone who is a priest like myself that example was powerful for me and it was one that that still stays with me as as i minister to people so i'm i will never approach someone with the idea that i am somehow that i somehow have some inherent knowledge over them i'm i'm part of them and they're part of me, and, and I'm. My only desire is to help them, so that they can reach their own potential, the highest of their own potential. And I think, in the world of Star Trek, that's the that's what religion does for people in that world. I think that's in that universe. I think that's where religion. I think that's the, you know how how Star Trek takes the best of people, mm -hmm. and it amplifies it. I think. Every aspect of humanity amplifies itself like that. So while some, like while the, the founder of Star Trek, while Gene Roddenberry himself felt maybe there's no need for religion at all, and that's his view, but he also felt that everything should be open and, and people should accept one another without preconception and without prejudice. And, and I think that as we learn that there there is still religious practice in the in spiritual practice in the in the the world of star the universe of star trek i think that just like humanity has 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 become their best self as best as they could be at that time i think religion has has kind of 
met that as well and become its best self. So I think that it's, you know, if I think, if if I speculate in in this world of, of Star Trek, where a, a Catholic priest and a and a Muslim imam were talking, I think they would they there would be no animosity existing between the two of them. And I think that for, and the people, the the faithful in in mass would not have animosity toward each other. That would all go away. So it leaves it leaves us open to to go further because right now we're kind of stuck in a loop we're we're, we're stuck in this like i don't know you know some cult, <laughs> you know what i'm saying like like oh yeah i felt i felt with uh I mean, the last eight years under Obama, I was like, hey, you know what? I think we can make it to more of a Star Trek. Uh, kind of, we're, we're going more of that way of, of Gene Roddenberry's view of, of, of the future with you know, tolerance and acceptance and appreciating other people's beliefs, but coming together as a human race, right? Yeah. <laughs> and now, now we're in, in this whole new, uh, administration that it's just like, well, we've just gone backwards to, we need to just full on tribalism. Keep them, make America great again. Keep America here. Everyone else can, right. everyone else can shove off. Uh, let's bomb these people over here. Let's bomb them. Let's threaten to bomb them over here. Whereas I felt like the past administration didn't want, I mean, if they didn't have to, they didn't want to solve anything with violence, right? It's very much negotiation and right. talking through things and trying to make things work for all parties. And now we're into, you know, who's got the bigger gun, you know, the, the biggest bombs, uh, you know, what it, it's, you know, and sometimes maybe you need to go backwards to go forwards. I'm hoping that's what this is, but, uh, it's, it's just the similarities are pretty amazing and it almost shows Gene Ronberry's being somewhat, Prophetic. She changed the lesson to teach us about Galileo. Did you know that he was tried by the Inquisition for teaching that the Earth moved around the sun? Tried and convicted. His books were burned. How could anyone be so stupid? It's easy to look back seven centuries and judge what was right and wrong. But the same thing's happening now with all this stuff about the Celestial Temple and the Wormhole. It's dumb. No, it's not. You've got to realize something, Jake. For over 50 years, the one thing that allowed the Bajorans to survive the Cardassian occupation was their faith. The prophets were their only source of hope and courage. But there were no prophets. They were just aliens that you found in the wormhole. To those aliens, the future is no more difficult to see than the past. Why shouldn't they be considered prophets? Are you serious? My point is, it's a matter of interpretation. It may not be what you believe, but that doesn't make it wrong. If you start to think that way... You'll be acting just like Vedic Wynn, only from the other side. My expression of my religion appears to people to be very Catholic because it is. It's liturgical. It's sacramental. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I my worship style is in the same family of, um, you know, Anglicans, Catholic, Orthodox. You know, I I wear. You know, you have the robes and the incense and the liturgy mm-hmm. and the right. And when people come to the church, I I receive uh, a couple of different reactions. I either I either can see them cringe <laughs> internally, 
I, or I can see them be very confused or, or a couple of people have kind of gotten it, but the people that cringe, they're, they're drawn to the church because of the, of the open philosophy, tolerance, the universalism. We accept everybody, uh, without restriction, without concern for, for sexuality or gender identity. Our, our church is an open door. And when people hear that, that's very, to them, that's, that's very satisfying. And they show up and then they see it basically a Catholic mass. And they don't know how to rationalize the two because their exposure to it in their life has been very detrimental to them. They suffer from a kind of a form of spiritual PTSD. Mm -hmm. So they recoil at what I consider to be um, very beneficial and very wonderful. So I, I always, I, I find myself being kind of constantly surprised that they don't understand that I'm not like what they might have been exposed to. At, at some, but, but it's a visceral reaction based on what's happened in the world around them, and that's that is a burden I think that people of faith need to carry. And they need to understand all of us that, that embrace at least the Abrahamic religions to a degree, whether or not the, our embracing of those religions are esoteric like myself or more orthodox like someone else. We have to accept the, the culpability of, of the, the structures of these faiths for marginalizing people at times. And we have to try to, to, fix or repair that damage and part of that part of that means that you have to give people the freedom to be very critical of christianity without the without the fear of retribution you know you have to let them air their grievance and and understand that it's coming from a place of of legitimacy it's their feelings you can't just dismiss you know a person's frustration with Christianity because a lot of stuff, a lot of hurt has happened in the name of Christianity. And the, what's so ironic about it is that Christianity itself started out as a persecuted minority faith. And, yeah. and it seems that humans have this kind of, kind of this, uh, this tendency in the species of having amnesia. Once a group gets to a point where they're in more control, they don't remember to themselves, oh yeah, that was real bad when it was us kind of under the thumb. It was really bad whenever we were the ones worshipping in houses and having to be quiet. Instead, they forget about all that and they just start putting the thumb onto someone else. As if, you know, it's it's this cycle, this repetitive cycle. And when Gene Roddenberry, I mean, when he would look at religion, even as a young kid, he would see this. How can you not get frustrated with that? With that, and so I, I hear that a lot from people that come through the doors of my church or that speak to me, um, that ask questions. Um, what what I'm seeing is that there's been a lot of pain created. So how do I, as a priest, start creating? feelings of comfort and and safety and security for people 
you know, because there's this tendency, I think, in the, in the, in the, and there's this, there's this great divide happening, especially in Christianity right now, um, where there is ultra conservatism and a celebration of, of, of the dismissing of certain groups of people as mm-hmm. being, as being, as being a virtue. See, that's really where, it, that's really where it gets bad because these, these people see this, this intolerance as a virtue. And they see those of us that, that reject that as, as being watered down. And we're not, you know, my, my Gnostic faith, my Gnostic Christian faith is not watered down. It's, it's simply, I feel that it's, it's challenged itself to move forward. And so we had to answer that challenge. We had to like measure up and, but it's something that's a, a work in progress. The challenge of, of people of faith is that you're, you are supposed to constantly grow and you're constantly supposed to, to face the questions head on and understand that you're not going to solve every problem. You're not going to answer any questions and there's going to be a lot you don't know. And what's happening in the world right now is that people say they have all the answers and those answers are leading to more problems because the reality is no one is supposed to have those kind of answers. No one's supposed to, you know, not, you know, the, like for instance, Mike Pence, this theocracy he wants to, to, to build in, in this country, what would that really do to us? How would that really look? I think it would look pretty awful because yeah. we're, we're a country, we're a pluralistic society and he is wanting to create a, a theo, theocratic system of repression and that to me is, is frightening beyond belief you know, because I, I think that in order, like Gene Roddenberry's examples and, and, and as someone who was influenced by the Star Trek worldview, Gene Roddenberry's, or, or to, to live in a pluralistic society, you have to understand that, that your particular issues don't take prevalence to the issues of the whole. So things that I see as a, as a, as a Gnostic and as a priest and as a Christian, issues that I think, you know, matters of virtue that I think society should address. I have a platform in my, in my church to address those, whether it comes, you know, and the issues that I really focus on is what's happening on the internet today where people are starting to kind of become desensitized to traumatic violence. You know, we saw that, that elderly gentleman being murdered on Facebook. And I went to the store just a couple of days after that happened, and I, I stood there in line and listened to these two college-age guys talking about the situation as if they were watching a television show. And one of them said, yeah. "And one of them said, if you think that's bad, you should see the video I saw the day before old dude killed that guy." <laughs> it, it, and it, 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 it like it bowled me over because I was like, they've they've now they've they're rating the excitement or the or the spectacle of the murder the there's been this kind of and and but see the thing is what i'm starting to think about is we've done that before with the circus maximus in rome 
we we as a as a as a as a species have this natural tendency to engage in this desensitized excitement over over very horrible things so when i talk about matters of the faith in my church these are the things that that people need to focus on not who's pissing in the men's room <laughs> but, but but why do two young men who are going to be leaders in this world who are going to represent a generation of people that are going to take over how come they find excitement and how come you see this this culture this prevailing culture of 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 desensitized interaction you know kids don't even even in how people talk to each other over the internet you know my children are my 17 year old and and her friends are part of a generation that the internet has always existed mm-hmm. what's, what's that like because yeah we, we got to think about that that's not that's not our reality Right, and we shouldn't be creating legislation. People who don't understand that are creating legislation and creating all these studies and all this kind of stuff. They don't even understand what it's like to have lived with the internet their whole life. Right. And I was just talking with somebody about this today. <laughs> Pretty interesting. Um, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. It makes me think, like, what would Gene Roddenberry have to say about this generation? I, I feel like we don't have someone at this point you know, putting this generation under a microscope and uh, and looking at things through allegory like Star Trek did, especially back in the first few seasons of, of the first, you know, of the original series, they had he had to find creative ways to address certain situations such right. as, you know, race, uh, race and and religion and uh, even sexism. Like uh, the early episodes, the women you know wearing the, the skirts. He didn't right. want that to happen. No, like he, he had not. to address all this stuff. So, I mean, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm glad that Star Trek exists and did bring up uh, many things through allegory of the series and important things ahead of his time even. And, you know, we're, there's going to be another Star Trek series coming out. The movies haven't done that. The new movies, I'm hoping the new series gets back to that. Yeah. Exploring more philosophical. Star Trek works best as a slow burn. And yeah. the movies have always been a, a built on the longstanding well, I would, I guess, maybe the original series only had three. Originals, more so, yeah. But the, if you look at the original movies, the 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 Star Treks one through six, um, those movies were not, not even Wrath of Khan. If you think about it, were like balls out, action packed to a degree. Even in the Next Generation movies, there's a, especially with the the Next Generation movie First Contact, there was a a, a tremendous beauty in that. In that subtlety, with with Star Trek being uh, a show of a process, you went through through with Next Generation, with Deep Space Nine, with Voyager, and and very much even with Enterprise and with the original series, you, you went through a process with this with the crew. You you grew into their family. It wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't like you know you weren't given just two hours to kind of get over it. You know, you you had years of of <laughs> developing with the development of the characters and understanding uh, 
understanding them in the in the direction that the writers were taking them and and Star Trek is st- the intention of Star Trek the the if you do not have um the the mission of spreading the word to people that there is a better way that there is that we will overcome as a people and we will unify and if you don't bring in the the lessons of family and unity and deep friendship and honor and courage this is what star trek exposes you to over a, a, a long period of time which is why a series needs to happen and so like you said i'm 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 very much hoping that star trek yeah. discovery does not you know, I'm, the jury's out with that for me because in my heart, I, I, I mean, I can't wait f- to see that. But I'm, I'm hoping that the way our society is currently going with everything is this kind of like big spectacle and everything's flash and everything hits you hard and, and everything's got some kind of, you know, big, uh, emotional kind of, rends your your emotions i mean every serious show that i'm watching right now i mean whether it's game of thrones or the walking dead or or uh i mean anything it's like it's you almost feel a little brutalized as a as a member of the audience because you're not given any kind of ability to breathe you're not given anything to find comfort in everything is you know and, and and of course, I guess in the in the subject matters of those series, uh, you're going to have that. So you go in with that expectation that's going to be pretty raw. But I hope they don't try to mimic that pattern with Star Trek because that's not where Star Trek should exist. Well, I mean, we can keep on going and going probably for hours, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> about Star Trek and Ron Berry and everything. And uh, I mean, definitely this lends itself to another conversation with you. I want to talk uh, even more about about your church and what you do and your philosophies on on bringing people again that we've bringing people into your church and and everything as we've kind of touched on here. So we'll we'll be doing that probably in the next couple months. Have you come back and expand? Sounds great. In closing, though, like with Star Trek, and it's funny, but it it makes perfect sense that we would bring up Star Trek in an episode and the the philosophies that it holds. And, and there's a lot of good that we can take from that series. I think even though Gene Roddenberry was kind of anti-religion in some way, I think, you know, I'm possibly... He hadn't found the right, uh, the right worldview yet, or maybe, I mean, but if you look at the culture when he was living in, it was very Protestant, you know, and very, uh, less open. And I guess you could say that, that he might have been anti religion, but he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, pro bigotry. So, right. He himself, even though for himself, didn't see the need for it, thought it was silly. He also didn't, uh, he wouldn't have oppressed people of faith and he wouldn't have, have advocated the, the, the separating of people because one would believe and one wouldn't believe. He actually advocated something of, of complete unity. And that, I think yes. that should, that should be the aim of all of us. Unity I think so. I think so. All right. And that's a good note to end on, Bob. Right. On. Um, 
what where can people find uh your church and and everything about it is i mean i'll be putting all the links in the show notes but for those listening how how can they okay on track uh you down? on facebook it is uh facebook.com backslash rose cross priory um then if you go to the priory website i got to find that real quick um, it is https colon backslash backslash golden path reiki dot dot com backslash priory of the rose cross that's the website of our church um, then to go to the um, the website of the mother church which is the oriental apostolic church of damkar that would be church-of-damcar.org and and from and of course from my my contact page or from or from the the links page of my website you can also go to the website of the order order of saint cyprian of antioch which i am on part of it's an order within the oriental apostolic church of damcar you can also go to the uh homepage of the liberal Gnostic church, which is a right. It's my right or, or practice style of practice within the Oriental apostolic church of Damkar. Uh, and that is, um, under the authority of Tal Barnabas, who's my, uh, Bishop superior. Um, so you can, you can, there's a number of, of links that kind of, when you go to the, the Priory of the Rose Cross website, the links page takes you to everything that has to do with who we are as an apostolic and liturgical church. And what does that mean and how does Gnosticism fit in? And, and, and so anything you would want to know is right there. Awesome. All right. Bob McDonald, thank you so much. You're welcome. For thank you for chatting having with us about all this. Uh, thanks for being up to this, man. I'm, I'm, I'm glad it worked out. And, uh, and uh, we'll definitely be talking to you again. Live long and prosper. Peace and long life, brother. Thank you very much. <laughs>